This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Time can feel like it's in short supply. Between work, family, and friends, there's very little time left just for you. What would you do with an extra hour in your day? What's important to you? Therapy can help you find what matters to you so that you can do more of it. It's a great way to increase self-awareness, build a greater sense of purpose, deal with overthinking, and more. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online and designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Learn to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash be here now today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash be here now. Hey everyone, this is Chris Grasso with the Indie Spirituals Podcast. Uh, I wanted to record this quick message letting people know that I'm going to be away for roughly a month to two months tops doing promotion for my brand new book, Everything Mind, which is coming out October 1st and published by Sounds True. And thank you, Sounds True, for that. Uh, But in my absence, I want to run some older interviews that I did in 2014. The, these are a series of what I was calling uh, Indie Spiritualist Skype sessions that I was doing on my website, theindiespiritualist.com. These are a series of video interviews that I had done, uh, which I have transferred into audio format. So apologies that the quality is not exactly up to par. However, it's definitely listenable, and the people I have as guests, I think, are worthy of your time. I hope, at least after you listen to them, that you feel they are. So anyways, I just want to say a quick hello, and again, my apologies for my absence over the next month to two months, um, but in that time, I sincerely hope you enjoy these interviews. Thank you very much. Hey everyone, this is Chris Grasso with TheIndieSpirituals.com, and my guest today is a heretic after my own heart. Her name is Sarah Beek. Um, Sarah is a Harvard-trained scholar of comparative world religions. She spent years traveling the world studying spirituality, from whirling with Sufi dervishes to meeting the Dalai Lama on her 21st birthday. Uh, the New York Times has called Sarah one of the new role models of our generation, Sarah is the author of The Red Book, A Deliciously Unorthodox Approach to Igniting Your Divine Spark, which was released in 2006. And more recently, as of last year, she published Red Hot and Holy, A Heretic's Love Story from Sounds True. Sarah, thank you so much for being here today. Oh, thanks for having me. It's so good to be with you. Cool. I appreciate it. So there's a lot I I look forward to talking with you about today. Um, I just finished your book, as I told you this week, and loved it. Um, I know it is geared a bit more towards women, but I found um, it captivated me the whole time being a man. And I think there's plenty of great stuff for, for men and women in there. So I'll say that right up front. So anyone who's watching, if it is a male, keep watching. This, this will be fun. (laughs) But so what I want to start out with uh, talking to you about, Sarah, is um, our childhoods. You know, you what we had very different childhoods, which I found interesting. You 
were a god fiend from the get-go, it sounds like. Whereas I, my parents believed in God, but I never went to church. I didn't, um, I really was impartial to God for most of my, excuse me, early childhood. Um, and then when I was actually a teenager, I became atheist for no reason, really. I just, you know, I actually, in retrospect, I think it was more the idea of I didn't like not Christians, but the way a lot of closed-minded Christians that I was around were towards people. So I had a, a misconstrued, you know, image of Christianity, and um, so I just started getting very, uh, very atheist, very, but not even a healthy atheist, just very anti-religion, anti-God. Whereas in your case, you loved God right off the bat, and I love how you really get into that. So. I was hoping you could talk a little bit about your love of God from an early age and, and kind of walk us through that. Because um, I just think it's interesting because here we are now today and we're both similar in many ways and where we are in the spiritual path. But let's go back to the beginning. And if you don't mind just sharing a bit, whatever comes up for you about your childhood, your love of God and and, and that. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I was really really into God. I felt, um, since I was a child, just very connected to things, but it also became very clear that the God that I knew and loved wasn't the same God that I was being taught about in church or Sunday school. So I did kind of, I began to notice that pretty early on. Um, and my experience of God was just a connection with things and a feeling of a very intimate presence with me. And it made me feel very giddy, you know? So it was something that I feel like it made me feel very alive. You know, it made me laugh a lot. It made me like want to touch trees a lot. It made me like get into trouble a lot because I ended up questioning, um, you know, in my little Sunday school classes, anything that felt like it wasn't in alignment with my own experience of God. Um, so when I was younger, I had pretty much a, kind of like a wild child streak that ran through me regarding God. And then I moved when I was 10 years old, and I was um, moved across country with my family, and I went to a new school. And that's when I experienced, really for the first time, like shyness. And um, I pretty much shut my voice down and really shut down my my love for God. So before I moved, I used to like write on my homework assignments, like I heart God on the top of them. It was all like, Woo! but I was, I was wild about it. I wasn't like thinking it had to be a certain way. I loved all people, like all things. I moved to Chicago and went to this new school. And when this sort of quietness settled down on me and I began to notice that, um, my love for God wasn't very cool. And when you're a new kid in school, <laughs> that's an issue because you're trying to fit in. And so everything everything sort of began to shut down for me then. Um, so I kept my, my love for the divine on the down low. Um, and when I was in sixth grade, I read a book about reincarnation and something about it just really rang true for me. Um, not so much that I, I was like positive reincarnation existed, but there was something about it that made me realize that this universe was ginormous, and much bigger than Catholicism. And it made me really want to explore it. So from sixth grade on, I kind of just became this like Hoover for the Holy. Like I sucked up everything I could get my hands on, like books. Um, if there was like some holy person that came through town, I would like show up. Um, that carried me through college and through graduate school. But the real pulse behind it, and I think this is true for so many of us, is like I felt something really intimate, um, and that was actually what I was pursuing. I, I tried to find it on the outside, you know, but 
this thing that I felt that I only had the language for to call God when I was younger, then it shifted to goddess and it would shift to the universe. You know, the names would change, but I was still following that, that pulse. Mm. I'm laughing because you're <laughs> hiding your love of God in you know, your sixth grade or, or whatever. I'm hiding my appreciation for new kids on the block. That's where I was at in sixth grade. Um, true story. I even my first concert. I went to see New Kids on the Block, and the reason, part of the reason I remember, is my brother liked them too, and he's two years younger than me, and, and we both got T-shirts. But I told him, don't wear that to school. You know, you'll you'll get trashed. And he didn't listen, and he wore it to school, and sure enough, like he had a rough day that day at school. So nice. So yeah, there you are with your your love of the divine, and there I was with my love of. Jordan and Jonathan and anyways um so you you went on to college you know to study so I mean you just followed your heart um and you really knew that this was going to be your path though it it, it's unfolded in pretty amazing ways and continues to it it seems on a daily basis for you so I guess before we get more into the book and I know you already talk about this in the book a bit for those who haven't read if you could talk a little bit about the college experience and um, and then after that, we'll we'll get into some things that uh, are more specific to your book, if that's cool. Yeah. yeah. Um, so when I got to college, I I remember you know when everyone's trying to decide what they should major in, and I definitely had that that question mark like, should I do something practical? Should I do something that you know I should be doing out there? And I remember talking on the phone to my older sister, and she just said to me, well, what what is a class that you just love like you just really enjoyed you had fun in and it was a buddhist philosophy class and so i said that to her and she was like maybe you should major in like philosophy or religion and so that that gave me um pretty much like the permission to continue following my passion but in school um and so when i was in college that's when i began more like Mm, academically studying the world religions and I learned a tremendous amount I was definitely like enthralled with everything that I studied but I also began to notice kind of like that same itchy scratchy feeling that I would get in church (laughs) no matter what world religion I was studying I began to just sense like "Mm, not all of me is is feeling welcome here. Like there, there's parts of me that are feeling like I have to hide them or shut them down in order to, to really be present to this religion or to do a practice with this particular tradition. Or if I was going to follow a particular teacher, like I noticed anytime I did something like that, some part of me had to shut down more often than not. It was what we could label like the more feminine parts of me, Mm. (laughs) but also just, just like, my love for like heavy techno, I was a total rave kid, you know, like my love for that, my love for like dirty humor, my love for just, you know, my wild, crazy fashions. Like I used to put like crazy shit in my hair and all of that felt like it wasn't welcome. Yeah. Sorry, these are my dogs in the background. <laughs> oh, I'm loving, I'm loving the dogs. They're having a little battle royal back there. It's great. <laughs> They're doing their own thing. Hey, you too. Um... So that, <laughs> sorry, no, that was going on um, in school, but, and it was really important. It was really important for me to notice, like, not just intellectually, but on like a body sense. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to remove them. <laughs> sorry. Come here, you two. Come here. Come here, you. Come on. Come on. <laughs> 
Sorry about that. No, that's great. That was uh, a nice I little... I knew where that was about to go, and it was about to get louder. So. <laughs> Sweet. <laughs> but that's sort of the way I felt, you know, when I was around some of these traditions. There was something sort of growling in me, and I'm feeling a little... Yeah, just feeling a bit unwelcome and off, and also beginning to feel really bad about that, beginning to feel that I was wrong, I was unenlightened, I was just a, you know, a narcissistic, individualistic, Western, you know, white woman who was, you know, gorging herself at this spiritual buffet and didn't have the, like, tenacity or the strength to actually sink into something. Right. Um, so I kind of, I had that battle, and that's a very common battle for me. That kind of carried me through into graduate school where I continued studying um, world religions. But the, the real turning point for me was when I began to study the mystics. And um, those were definitely the characters, and they're found in every religious tradition and non-tradition, that pretty much kind of like said, like, fuck you to dogma. Like, my heart is actually the one that is guiding me here, and my own experience is the thing that's opening me more to whatever it is, the divine nirvana. It's, and they all tended to have these more um, wild characteristics. And just by them being themselves, they inherently ended up breaking the spiritual rules and laws that weren't allowing like a true liberation, true freedom, um, kind of true just fullness of being, you know, them just to be themselves. Um, so that, the, the mystics definitely like lit me up big time. They are the reasons I continued studying the world religions. If they weren't present, I would have like abandoned that, you know, and gone and been like some crazy rave dancer. Like I just, I couldn't, I didn't know how to stay put to something that didn't feel like it was really opening my heart. Um, mystics, exploded my heart open again so I, I continued studying yeah <laughs> well I definitely resonate with that um the mystics have been very important in my life as well uh but I also resonate yeah like as I read about my book like going to various sanghas and churches or reading certain texts and them not resonating and feeling very turned off by them and um unwelcome to a certain extent or that I wasn't you know I wasn't fitting the mold of what spirituality was supposed to look like or you know smell like or whatever it, it was uh it was disheartening. And I know a lot of people in this day and age find that that happens to them as well. That's part of the inspiration behind why I wrote my own book. And, and uh, it was all the messages I was getting and um, people that were resonating with the fact that, so you mean I can be spiritual and still go to a Slayer concert? Really? Or, you know, like whatever. And, and something you write about in your book that I love, um, I'm jumping a little ahead here, but I, I think this is a very apt time to bring it up, is you talk about an experience listening to a Chris Brown song. And I, I'm not a big Chris Brown fan myself, but I love the sentiment behind this, where you, I think I even actually wrote out what you said, but um, yeah, you'd wrote, so you're listening to Chris Brown's song, and then you're having your inner patriarchal voice step in, nudging you that it wasn't spiritual to listen to that music. I know all about that. Um <laughs> But then you go on to say that you've learned that spiritual practice, and I really, really love this, is paying closer attention to what feeds and nourishes your soul and awakens your body, regardless of what that may be. So I'd love to talk a little bit more about that. You know, I, we've already touched on a bit, but especially in relation to maybe some advice that that you could give for these newer seekers that feel that call, you know, that there's something more and, and that their hearts are kind of calling them to that, whatever it may be, whether it's Buddhism or an element mm -hmm. of mystic Christianity or Zen or, or whatever. 
but still honoring the fact that they can be them and enjoy what they enjoy. So could you talk a little bit about that? Yeah. I know yeah. it's a little open-ended, so please just go wherever you'd like with it. No, it's really, it's, it's wonderful. Um, you know, Matthew Fox and Carolyn Meath and many, many wise ones say that, like, every single one of us is a mystic. Mm. Um, and Carl Jung has this awesome quote, and I'm going to not say it completely correctly right now, but the gist was um, that it's only the mystics that bring what is creative to religion itself. And so I feel like each one of us has that responsibility, actually, that when we're approaching um, these different traditions, or again, or even non-traditions, to continually check in, to really see, is this feeding my soul? Is this actually making my cells turn on? Is this expanding my heart? Is this grounding me more in my body? Is this helping me extend um, a connection to all of life? And so we, we ask these questions to ourselves, but we're also paying attention to where we might be like shrinking in any way, like any parts of us that we're, we're judging as being you know, not spiritual enough or not high vibe enough or not perfect enough or, you know, all the different adjectives that we've sort of absorbed over the years or we're, we're newly absorbing by entering into this more like spiritual <laughs> mindset or community. Yeah. And the thing that I really, like why I say those things at the beginning of this, like what I believe Carly Young and all these people who appreciate the mystic quality that we each have inside of us is because these these traditions to me are dynamic. Um and so often we can feel almost like a deadness to them because um, they're trying so hard to hang on to a tradition or a way of being or just even like a lifestyle or something. And they're, they're holding on so tight to it sometimes that it gives, it doesn't allow the breath to come through. It doesn't allow a dynamic, co-creative, evolutionary experience and expression of the divine that is trying to come through that lineage. And how does it come through? It comes through us. So your uniqueness, your quirks, even your supposed like, flaws, your, your interest in your music, the way you authentically dress and just express yourself, that is giving life to everything and everyone around mm. you. But especially these traditions and especially these spiritual groups. Like we need the distinction. To me, I'm a big sort of champion for the distinction, for the uniqueness of us all, because I find that to be actually what helps us grow together. I mean, people think it's gonna separate and my and my experience it actually helps us grow together. So just be really easy on yourself to be really open and to make sure that whatever you're participating in allows your fullness to be present and doesn't doesn't try to squish that. Yeah. <laughs> I love that you're saying that it, it can bring more wholeness, you know, and that it's not going to be a separation thing. And I so agree with mm -hmm. you because I think when we approach it, our hearts just naturally open, you know, and that's just, that's just the experience we have. So you know, we're, it's our experience and I think we honor it as that and we'll share it with those who want to listen and that resonate and those that don't, that's fine. Like their experience is their experience. What unfortunately doesn't happen is that reciprocal often like their experience is the right experience and ours is wrong. Whereas, you know, usually we're just saying, well, here's what my thing is and, you know, cool that that's your thing. But yeah, it's, it's not a two way street a lot of the time. And, um, I, and I also really appreciate that you're saying, you know, how the divine is trying, like the times are changing. Things are, it's a new world. Ken Wilber has a, a new fourth churning he's been working on with Buddhism. And it's a very important task. And he writes in it, not just in regards to Buddhism, 
but all the great contemplative world religions that, you know, you look at when these came about, and this was a day and age where, uh, you know, homosexuality was wrong. It was racism. The world was believed to be flat. It was a completely different time. And it is time for a long overdue upgrade. Not to say that it's all not worthy. I mean, he often says transcend and include. So include what still resonates because there are still some profound truths. But it is a different day and age. So the divine, like you said, is trying to, to manifest, I'm sure, and, and be heard in different ways that can relate to new newer generations of truth seekers. So um, thank you for saying that. I think you just, it was very articulate and well said. I think that, that also, just to, to tag something else on, and maybe it's repetitive, but um, I mean, I know for me, I'm learning like more and more, and this is just, definitely just from my perspective and experience, but I know I'm not the only one who has this, that this notion of us being divine, it's not just this sort of catchy, like spiritual like bumper sticker. Yeah. The, the reality of this is so mammoth. Um, and I know I'm only just beginning to really understand what that actually feels like. And so when I say there's like a responsibility, um, I don't mean it in a sort of like cranky way, but I mean it in that real like deep, solid, like tectonic plate mm. of our being. You know, that, that us staying true to who we are, even as we're evolving and being as honest about that and authentic about that as possible is the divine like right. that that is when I see a human just being themselves, um, not just in a new age, I'm just being whatever, but really being willing to to reveal themselves, that to me I I've always found to be the most incredible experience of the divine. You know, when I when I met the Dalai Lama when I was twenty twenty one, I remember that's what hit me. I was like Oh, I'm not. I'm not getting this hit that I'm in front of this unbelievably like holy, transcendent, like saintly man. What hit me so hard was his humanity. Like he was so real in front of us and with us that day. And that experience to me was like, oh, I'm. This is the divine. Like this is actually the most holy person I've ever met because this is actually the most human human I've ever met. Yeah. And so it was a huge, a huge turning point for me. So that's also why I feel like mm, staying true to, to the way we are evolving and the way our own truth wants to be felt and seen and expressed, you know, through our clothes, through our music, through our voices, um, is a real honest gift to this planet. Uh, and I love that you say that. And, and I think for me that, that it always comes back to what's happening right here, you know, in our heart center, how that's unfolding. And it doesn't matter what's happening on the outside. You know, as I write in these spiritualists, you you can be your own authentic divine self wearing a suit and tie. It doesn't matter. It's the outsides express yourself however you want. That's that's just fun we're having. But it's all about what's happening on the inside and honoring that. So, you know, obviously someone like the Dalai Lama, that's the embodiment of, of divinity right there. Like you said, I mean that's it. That's the real deal. But then you see that in all the great traditions, but also those some of the most beautifully divine people I've met honestly don't have any interest in spirituality. They are just <laughs> authentic people that are connected. You know, they're already they've they've got that connection. So, um, it's so true. Yeah, it's 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 out there. Um, so let's get into your book, which I have right here, so people can see. It's very nice, lovely cover, and the the whole aesthetic appeal. Oh, <laughs> mutual plug. <laughs> um, but I love I I, uh, I love the job Sounds True did with this. I mean, besides just 
the content is I love it. Um, they did a wonderful job with the whole aesthetic appeal, and it just is a wonderful book. Um, every aspect. Hey, of I it. feel the same about yours. I have just Thanks. the aesthetics, like, and I just feel like it carries your your voice, like your whole being, so well. Like this just feels <laughs> like it's like, and that's not easy to do, especially when. There's a lot out there um, that is sort of sort of molding again, even the spiritual voice or presentation. So, yes, I really applaud. Like this is just incredible. Well, yeah. thanks. And this is the part where people can put in the comments section, like, "Oh, look at these two, like blowing smoke up each other's asses and whatever." So go ahead and post your your comments. But no, it, it's a it's an honest well, mutual this respect. Is, this is the thing that I want to say is like I and this is part of something that. You know, if anybody who knows me, they know that this is a part of my gig. I'm so appreciative and seeking the real. And when I find someone who's actually communicating the real, and again, this is like what we were talking about, like themselves, they're sharing their story, they're sharing their guts, they're sharing like the mud of life. And it's just real. That to me is the holy. And that is what I see you doing in this book. And it's why it's so inspiring. And it's why it's honestly rare. You know, I don't, unfortunately, I don't, I don't see that enough in our arena. I see wonderful things in our arena, but yeah. this, this is really important. Yeah. So that's why I'm doing it. No smoke up the ass. This is just the real. <laughs> well, the feeling is more than vice versa and mutual. And I really do appreciate that. But yeah, it's, uh, it's, as we were talking before we started, you know, it, it is something that's lacking for some people in, in the arena. There's a lot of seekers that are looking for something a little different than what's popular and and you know more accessible so it's great to see people like yourself and and i think we mentioned adam buco and uh noah levine and there's a lot of great younger people stepping brad warner um whole bunch of people so it's great to see that um so what i want to start out talking about in your book is i love how you you have it split into two parts your bm and your am which refers to a very powerful interval interview you did with the Jungian analyst, Marion Woodman. Um, you, I mean, I, I can't say like enough about how you, you tell the story wonderfully, and I recommend people to actually buy the book and read it. But can you talk a little bit about that experience for listeners and and why it was so so impactful that you kind of split the book up into two parts because of it? Yeah, yeah. So I had the. Um the honor to interview Marion Woodman, who is a union analyst, and she's in her late 80s now. And um, I interviewed her in 2009 for a documentary I was making. And um, on my work and on just how the feminine is sort of being um, revealed right now in the world. And so there are a lot of great people I got to interview. But with her, um, something pretty unexpected happened where I, I was very familiar with her work. I had been reading her book since I was in high school, but when I actually like met her in person and I was sitting across from her um, and I asked her like the very first question and she started to, to speak. And again, I don't even remember what the hell she said, like, cause it wasn't what she was saying so much, although I'm sure it was amazing. Um, it was how she was saying it and just who she was being. Um, and I started to cry listening to her, and I just continued crying throughout the rest of the interview, and really for like a week, I just pretty much nonstop cried. And I didn't have like all of the words um, that I ended up 
being able to find to describe it the experience later but what i what i did get was that um i was very disembodied that i was very connected to spirit which she and some other people like bill platt can consider more of like an an ascent more of a transcendent sort of like an all is one um experience of the divine but the soul the more personal sort of core nature of me um i was very disconnected from um and she was the first woman and i had been around incredibly powerful spiritual women my entire life but she was really the first woman i had ever met that had truly embodied her soul um and her humanity and again this word that we're using um the reality of her like the realness of her there was no spiritual costuming There was no pretension, and there wasn't even that sort of blanded out thing. Sometimes I can feel around like her ego's got. Yeah, I apologize, Sarah. I don't know if you can hear me. You broke up there at the the end for a second. Can you hear me though? Oh, you're back. You can hear me now though. Okay, cool. So yeah, I apologize. You broke up for a second. Um, but you were you were saying before you broke up, um, obviously about the importance that she'd had, and then. The last thing I heard was darkness, which when you started to come back. So can you, can you kind of... So, darkness. Yeah. Is there a way to pick up from point A to point B incorporating the word darkness? Hmm. <laughs> plenty. Plenty there. Yeah. No, after I met her and had that experience with her, um, um, it was a huge... It was very, very humbling because I had a book out that was doing, like, you know, relatively well. I was traveling around the country. I was doing workshops and talks. I had this feature documentary. And I really felt like I was doing my divine mission in the world. Um, and then I met her, and I was like, oh, <laughs> um, I'm missing. Like, I'm actually missing. They're, they're, my soul is not here. I don't know where it is. Um, I'm not in my body. All these wonderful ideas that I'm sharing haven't fully been integrated. Um, and I, I crashed, like I pretty much came back from that interview and everything. I began to just have to shut everything down in my life to, to start the process of trying to understand how I had gone so long in my life functioning without my soul. Hmm. Um, and, and there was a little bit more of a, you know, sort of a, an ego humbling around it, a really necessary one, because I also had a, you know, a public, um, life, you know, not some huge one, but, but enough of a public life where I was sharing spirituality. So I think all of us that are, um, doing that in some way publicly, you know, in a small way or a big way, there is this sense that there, of a responsibility. Um, like I knew I just did not want to continue um, even speaking with other women or other people if if I wasn't even fully here. Um, and if, if I had lost my soul, which is um, a very feminine component, um, how, how could I even continue making a film about the feminine or talking about the feminine? So this, this led to a, um, a really, really, really important turning point in my life. And um, it continued for years and it's still continuing. Mm. For sure. It it changed everything. And that's why the book is split up (laughs) before Marion and after Marion, because my life really feels split up. 
um, from before when I didn't really have my soul, but I was very connected to the divine, to afterwards where I began that slow process of understanding that it is through myself and through my soul and through my own body that I am to connect with the divine. So it was like a reverse direction yeah. <laughs> that I had out there. Got like rotor rooted. <laughs> well, so you had... I, around this time, it seems like there's a pretty big shift happening for you. Um, after that, you were poised to be one of the next spiritual it girls. You know, you were featured in the New York Times, as we already mentioned, and you had a major publishing contract. You were requested to write a book with a Hollywood actress. You know, all these amazing things were going on for you. And that is until you had a bit of, I guess you could call a pivotal experience with one Andrew Harvey, who is a brilliant <laughs> mystic, um, wonderful man. I've had the, the, the pleasure of interviewing him before, and it was a, a wonderful experience. Your experience, on the other hand, was wonderful, <laughs> just maybe in a, in a different sense. So it really seemed like, so here you are, like really on the cusp of becoming one of the next. I mean, we, we've seen a million of them. There's so many popular cool best-selling New York time, you know, bestsellers, authors, and you were about to be that, you know, and, and, uh, and I mean, you're ready. Your platform was growing exponentially and you were set. Like it was, it was, the whole road was, the doors were open. It was, it was golden from, from there for you. And then enter Andrew Harvey. So (laughs) I'm sure you've talked. (laughs) (laughs) So I'm going to link those really quick because people might be like well what happened after well marion woodman um i went through about like seven months of pretty like just 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 dark just head in the mud just shadow work just realizing i was an intense spirit addict like pretty much having to shut down everything and then um something shifted and I, i had sort of like a personal shift and within two weeks after that that was when like the New York Times article happened, a major publishing deal came in, all the different, you know, reality show possibility, like all these, that stuff that you've talked about also came in literally within two weeks of me making this sort of personal shift, which was just about me connecting more, more to the earth actually. And so there was this part of me, and this is, this is something that I think again in our, um, and our culture these days is really, really interesting and fascinating because I was like, whoa, you know, all this stuff is opening up and I'm being, you know, all these things are just showing up. Um, it must be because I healed something. It must be because I did the the inner work. And so now um, this is sort of the manifestation of that. You know, now I'm, I'm seeing the publisher line up. I'm seeing, you know, my career take off. Yeah. And, um, Andrew Harvey came in about a month later to be like, yeah, not so much. You put the <laughs> that's, kibosh that's on not that. Really right. What's going on? <laughs> he was like, nice try. Um, and so when Andrew Harvey came in, and he was someone else I was interviewing for the film, um, I he pretty much just gave it to me straight. He um, he he yelled in a very amazing way at me and my filmmaker at the time, but I'm just focusing on myself with what he yelled at. And he pretty much just told me flat out to stop being a whore and to stop selling out to the spiritual mainstream and to not just be like the popular pretty girl who talks about spirituality without ruffling any feathers, to stop caring about the media and marketing and sales and money. And I mean, he just, but he nailed me. And I mean, he, he went on and on and on for about an hour, um, making sure I really got <laughs> this message. And 
why, I mean, there's so many reasons that I'm grateful that this came in at this time, but one of the reasons I really, one of the things I really want to say is that everything that he shared with me <laughs> in a very loud voice was something that I knew deep down. It was something that I had been journaling about for months, like my unease with, with how I felt like I was being pushed out there, my unease with like, the fact that I'd been through this very dark, you know, seven months, and then all of a sudden things were like, you know, electrifying again. Um, my unease with how the the mainstream was um, depicting spirituality, and so all of that was there, but I wasn't yet putting it into action and doing anything about it. I was sort of watching myself getting sort of carried while having these intuitions. So when he came in, you know, part of the reason I listened is because I trust and respect and I love him. Uh, the other reason is because it's exactly my intentions, and the other reason is because that is how, you know, my experience with the Divine Feminine has worked. Like, she she will not let me go too far <laughs> without being like, you're losing something. You're losing yourself. You're losing your soul. You're, you're, you're losing the real connection, the real reason while you're alive. So I've been really lucky to have these wise people come in and either if it's just Marion Woodman who's just sitting there and being herself which was this massive teaching or Andrew Harvey really vocalizing to me um where I was being you know where I was misleading myself and where my own shadow um my own need to be liked or to be approved or even the unconscious parts of me that wanted to be famous that I I didn't even know were fully there um how all those were activating and how all those were actually affecting my work in the world so after that experience, um, I shut everything down. Um, the only thing I kept was my publishing deal. I stopped my film. I turned down all the offers. Um, I pulled completely away from my professional and personal life for about three years. And I went into um, what I call the red tent, but it was just a very personal um, sort of cocooning where I, I faced all this shit, you know, both inside myself and outside myself. And I also faced, you know, the real, the real beauty that I hold. And I know we all hold, um, just by being willing to go through this process and it became real. You know, I, I think for me the whole time, spirituality always felt real to me. My connection to the divine always felt real to me. It did since I was a child, but you know, being in the red tent for those years um, and kind of just shutting and shutting and, um, you know, the amount of pain that I went through um, was so intense and the, the darkness was so intense and it was so confusing because I saw all my colleagues sort of out there doing what I thought I was supposed to be doing, you know, and, I went, and helping people. And that was really the hook for me was that the fame and all that was more of an unconscious thing, but the real thing was the honest hook. Like I wanted to be helping other people, other women, and yet I was being pulled into this like isolation tank and and getting my ass kicked. And it it was confusing for the mind. You know, how is this helping other people? How am I being of service? Am I just being again like a self indulgent navel gazer? Um, I know I'm not alone in that process. I think there's so many of us who are going through that and the mental games that end up happening and the, the confusion is something that I just respect um, because it's, um, it's there for a reason. So I, I, everything got shaken um, 
my my relationship with the divine, my relationship with myself, all of the spiritual concepts that I had studied and absorbed over the years got completely dismantled. Um, I didn't know anything anymore. And um, because I had to start to learn to source from the inside, I, I had to start that process of not looking outwards so much, not comparing, um, not reading so much about other spiritual teachers or things or practices or beliefs, but really ask myself, what is it that I know? And it might be really, really small, but I need, I need to hold that and I need to build on it the next day and I need to build on it the next day. And so I, I sort of began that, that and still in it, you know, that process of sort of building up, um, my own inner stamina and that trust and my own knowing and experience. Mm. So that, that, that was a big one for me. Um, and it's still happening, but the main gist of it, um, it was during that time period that I started to write red, hot and holy. Um, so it's trying to writing is a spiritual practice for me. And it's a way that I, I have to sort of come to, to formulate, to, to like put into words all this stuff that's going on. And it also helps incarnate me. It helps actually ground me in my body because I, I can float out so easily. And it helps me face all of my shadows, all of my fears, all of my illusions, all of my crap, as well as all of my gifts and my honesty and my beauty. It's, it's all there on the page for me. Um, so that, that's when I started to write that book. That's uh, to say, bra- like bravery and integrity. These are two words that come up for me in that because that's just huge, you know. To to really, I mean, talk about following your your heart, your passion, your authenticity, you know, to no ends. That's that's like exactly what you did, you know. Really turning away from what you had and and going within and following that guidance. I mean, I feel like after reading your book, there was no other way you could have gone. You know, I think you knew that you could have kept going that route that you were going, but it would have been beyond miserable for you. And uh, I'm, I'm grateful you went the other way, and, and I'm sure many of your fans and readers are as well. Um, and it is tricky, you know, like, and you say, like, you felt like you were being of service. What's wrong with this? You know, and, and, and not that there was anything inherently wrong, except in your case, there was something internally off about it. And And that's something I struggle with, too. Like, how do I get my message out there in a way that's, still holds its integrity and still, you know, resonates with people. But how do I get it out there to people? So it is a very fine line. And a lot of people that aren't in this field, they don't recognize that. You know, it's it's um, it's um tricky. And something uh, our mutual friend Lisa Rankin had, had told me and or said in a webinar right off the bat is if you're going into this field, what you need to know beforehand is what is your boundary? What are you and what aren't you willing to do? And you need to set that before you step foot on this because you're going to be asked a lot, you know, from different people, from your publishers, from your publicists, from, from whoever, and you need to be clear on that. And I kind of listened and it's, you know, I, uh, <laughs> it's, it's increasingly becoming clearer as each day goes by, but, uh, yeah, it's really, it's, it's something that's important. So I, I very much honor the fact that you really went the way you did and that you honored your truth, um, which, as you said, still unfolding, but uh, it's, it's still unfolding, and I resisted it like hell, Chris. Like I was, <laughs> like I, um, it was very messy for me, you know. Yeah. Like I definitely do not want in any way portray like a picture that I like, you know, 
felt the call to go in and I was like, okay, like I fucking, I mean, I had to get it hammered. I had to have Andrew Harvey like scream at me, but I also, it was a continuous question mark for me. And that, that to me is very much sort of part of the soul path is I don't find it very clear. I find it very much about developing, I used this word before, but the stamina of self-trust and the stamina of like, I actually don't totally know this is the right direction, but something in my heart, something in like my body is telling me I need to keep going in this direction. Even though my mind is telling me don't, don't go there, even though even like my spiritualized ego is telling me not to go there. Um, and so it's, it's for me at least, it's very, it's very messy and it's, it's not super... Um, it's not super clear, but the one thing that I I did get my face shoved into over and over is, for me at least, the very, how we can lose, you know, this is a label that I call like my soul. You can call it like your authenticity, your your yourself. You, you can call it all these different things. But for me, I became aware of very, very subtle ways that I was losing my soul. Um, not just like the big, big blame, but like one word in a sentence. You know, one one angle that I might have taken on my website, like these were little ways and it wasn't to be all anal about it or perfectionist, but it was actually these indicators to me of why is that word there and why is that angle there? Like what part of you is trying um, for something that isn't that isn't authentic for you? It, is there is there a shadow that's activated? Is there this that's activated? So it is. Um, you were saying this is tricky and, and for me coming back out um, with this book um, that practice is is so challenging it's a daily practice and it's something that I'm getting better and better at because I'm feeling it more in my body this actually feels like it is again making me come more alive it feels like it is definitely holding the integrity you know of both myself and other people and this sort of feels something like good but something's a little off and so being able to work with that, it's just something that um, it, it's unique for each of us. But I think if we're in this arena, again, it's our responsibility. Yeah. And it's going to look different. You know, like I want to make that clear. Like some person could do exactly like what I left and still have their soul intact. But right. for me, it, it, that was not what was happening. Right. And and that's the reason, though, that I commend you is that you're right. It, it doesn't need to look a certain way. Like the people that are like on the New York Times bestsellers, et cetera, they're doing wonderful work. You know, some of them are, are very, they are filled with integrity and they're helping people. And that's wonderful. I feel like people like you and I and others that I've already mentioned, it needs to get messy and we need to convey that messiness in as raw and candid of a way as we possibly can for readers or for people that'll watch this interview or, or whatever. So they know that they're not alone because the majority of the people out there it's not just rainbows and unicorns. You know, most people don't come to the spiritual path because life is amazing, at least in my experience. You know, it's like some shit has gone wrong in my life. I am miserable. I, I, you know, I know there's something or there has to be something more, you know, than this. And that's why a lot of people find themselves there. So when, when you know, they're seeing a lot of the, the books that don't really address that, it's not resonating for them. So that's where people like you and I step in. And you willingly, though, I, for me, there was no no two ways about it. I, I, I never had that possibility of, of you know, being the, the very dapper, handsome, it, spiritual man. I don't know that there's any out there right now. But anyways, like, I, I, I came from the streets, you know, like my lineage is the school of hard knocks, you know, literally. And I need to convey that to people. 
So that's where I came from. You had the option, though, and that's why I just I really commend you on that because it, it could have gone one of two ways for you, and and you followed that authentic self, and now you're you put out an amazing book, and you're speaking to wonderful people, you know, and really helping people in a very raw and authentic way, the way that a lot of people need that message. So, and part of what comes along with that. It's backlash, which we both get. Um, if you speak your mind, if you swear, if you you know you look a certain way, like um, in your book, right off the bat, I love that you wrote my writing in your fire hazard section, which starts off your book. It's kind of a forewarning to some readers, but I love that you write. My writing has received comments like this, and this is quote: "I find your blog totally disgusting and tasteless. You call yourself a woman of God. You should be ashamed of yourself." I can't believe your filthy mouth. <laughs> Not funny at all. And no class whatsoever. Signed, concerned. <laughs> These are the kinds of things that I see time and again. Like, I, I get them too. Um, what's, what I find, though, is sometimes it's not even about my writing. Like, recently, you know, my book came out last month, and I had, I was very humbled to have people like Ram Das and Tara Brock and Jack Cornfield. They're posting about it on their Facebook pages, and I'm very touched. And then I'm reading some of the comments and I'm like, oh, so it's not even, they haven't even read the book yet, but they're looking at the tattoos. They're seeing the external and they're right. bashing me for what I look like. And not everyone, actually, most of the comments were really wonderful and supportive, but there were, of course, those people that are just like, here's this guy who has tattoos. What could, you know, what could he possibly know? Or my wife has gotten that. She writes a lot and she has a lot of tattoos and you know, she's gotten trashed on occasion when a picture of her appears in an article and it's, it's pretty ridiculous. So I guess my question to you is like, how do you, how do you deal with that? What's your, what's your, what's your, um, reaction, your experience internally? Like, has it changed for you with time? And, and, and I'm asking, that's more of a personal question, but I'm sure some people watching are writers and would love to know too. So yeah, um, I I tend to not read any of my reviews. So, like, I haven't been to my Amazon page, for instance. Like, I, I kind of – and there's two things going on there. Um, one, when I was writing Red Hot and Holy, because it's very um, revealing and it's very personal, I had to really go through that process of, like, the facing all the parts of me that – were overly concerned about what other people thought um, and that were not sharing certain things because I was so scared of the backlash. And I went through it. I went through it for years. Um, and so now there's a little bit more of a, um, well, how do we say this? When I do catch something or when someone does say something to me that I've seen, my, re my reactions to it are faster. Like I'll go through the whole thing I used to go through like years ago. Like first I'm like, and then I'm like, yeah. and I'm like, what? They don't understand. And then all of a sudden, but it'll be over in like five minutes. Where again, like five years ago, this probably would have taken me out for like a while. Um, because now I understand it more. But I still have all the feelings. I mean, I still have. Um, you know, I can get very sad about it. I definitely get like angry. You know, there's like the whole thing of anger that can come up that can be like, oh, women's voices or this and this or, you know, all this stuff will, will come up in me. Um, but I, because my ass got so <laughs> hammered in the tent, I'm just able to move through it a bit faster, you yeah. know, and, and, I, and I get it and I respect it. And, and part of what I had to really um, become okay with is that 
being who I am and being who you are and all of us being who we are is going to trigger other people. Mm. It's not even going to be about the fact that we swear or we have tattoos or it's more than that. It's actually, there is something that triggers just the human condition. All of us, when we see someone being someone else, it's going to bring out both like the best, like, Oh my God, that's amazing. Like someone is taking, you know, another step in their own direction and they're doing it publicly, you know, or they're doing it privately. It doesn't matter, but there's somebody else who's, um, who can, it can trigger like, how dare they? Or, or who knows? There's a variety of triggers that can come out. So I think getting comfortable with how I trigger, how the material in my book might trigger on people helped. But I think it's all just about self-acceptance. Yeah. And it's something that I really feel you convey and you do so well. And this book, your book, does so well with that theme and that idea of showing and sharing yourself and accepting and there's something that in that embrace you know for me it's more of an embrace and even an acceptance that naturally sort of protects us you know and not in a new agey fluffy way like we still feel all that shit but we're being myself is more important than these reactions that I'm getting the I went through so long, and, and, I, and I know this too for so many of us, of not sharing myself. Um, I, I did it for you know, my entire life, and I would venture to say lifetimes, of not speaking, not, not sharing, for fear of all the things we all have. We all have the persecution complex. We, 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 we all have it. And the pain of not sharing myself grew bigger than sort of the temporary pain of other people's reactions to when I do. Mm. And it... it just tipped it. It tipped the balance um, over. And so I still feel the pain when other people do it. But I know that, that this is why I'm here, you know, is to hold myself and to be myself because I haven't done it for so long. Mm. Well, I really appreciate that. Um, wow, that was great to hear. I, I haven't gone through what I went through in my experience. You know, I literally on death's door a number of times, you know, uh, psychiatric hospitals a couple of times from detoxes jail cells it was brutal and so as it wasn't easy writing the way I wrote you know but it was very similar to we both put ourselves out there I mean literally like opened up and vomited onto the page more or less yeah. you know really yeah. me walking into it I'm like there's nothing anyone can say that you know it's that I haven't been through you know nothing that could be worse than what I've experienced and I, I mean, I was writing for websites before the book came out and I started getting some of these comments and yeah, like, mm-hmm. boy, I didn't get the anger a bit, but for me, it was more of the sad panda syndrome. Like I heard it and I'd be like, oh, like, you don't even know me. Why are you being so mean? But um, yeah, and, and I found that too. It's nice to hear you say that because I do find um, I'm not as, as awesome as you are in the fact that I do look at reviews and I should, or I shouldn't, but I do and I... Uh, Luckily, most of them have been good, but um, there are always those comments. And I'm the type of person out of like 15 good comments, if there's one negative, of course I'm going to dwell on that one, you know? And, totally. Um, but I, like you said, because I do notice it, maybe it's because I'm more used to it or, or whatever, but it does. It's, it's a significantly less, uh, less of an impact and less time it impacts me. So that's the big thing. Maybe not less of an impact, I shouldn't say that, but less time is, is definitely what I notice. So. Um, I'm, it was good to hear you say that as well. But it, yeah, it still sucks, and people can be real <laughs> mean on the internet. You know, it's 
<laughs> like, I wish I was still a tough guy. Like, you know, growing up, I was a little tough guy. And I'd be like, well, come say that to me. Like, let's, let's, but I'm not like that. I have a part of me, um, my, my partner calls it, calls her Tinker Booch. And it's the Tinker Booch is the part of me that's like, come on, come on. <laughs> but like, she very she'll come out kind of like to protect me when I get something like that. But really, the sad, the sad one is the thing for me. But I think it's also because it's personal. It's definitely very personal and kind of like, you know, from childhood, like feeling like misunderstood and all that. But it's also collective. It's just like, God damn it, people, like, we're all just fucking trying to share a little bit, bit more. And we're not perfect at it. We're, we're, we're going to fail. We're going to, like, upset people. But but I, I get kind of the tinker booch in me comes out, not just for me, but kind of for, for, like, every single person who is just trying to share a little bit more of themselves, either privately with their family and loved ones, or if it happens to be publicly through, like, a blog post or a book or an interview. And, and I just am, like back off people because like that little being is trying right now, you know, yeah. they're trying. So it's like, there's, it's me that I get sort of whoop, but then it's also, it is it's just this collective because we know how hard this is. And, and it's not a sob story. It's not like a victim thing. It's just, right. it, this is not a planet that has set it set. It's not been set up for us to, to be ourselves easily. Everything yeah. is trying to sort of control that or diminish it or kind of and, and, and at the same time, um, there's that pulse in us, that real desire to be ourselves. So, so like we're up against a lot every time we take another step. And it's going to look different for each one of us, like what we're up against. But I just want the honoring of that to be recognized more. You know, even if it's like completely different than what your stepping out looks like, or even if they're doing it in a way that you would never do, just to be like, God, that soul just took a bigger breath in front of us. And that deserves fucking reverence, even if it triggers the shit out of us. Yeah. So it's honoring the soul. Like that to me is just something, I mean, cause the soul's messy, you know, we got shit in our hair. Like we are not, <laughs> the halos are long gone. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. So it's just, it's just, yeah. So sorry, that was sort of a long rambly thing. No, but. that was that really was beautiful. I uh, I appreciate that sentiment. You know, it, it makes me think of that kind of cliche meme I see pop up on Facebook sometimes about everyone's fighting a tough battle. You know, so be kind. Um, so how true though? You know, really, we don't know what the other person's going through. But I love how you you said like even when they're making that effort to put themselves out there, whether it is in the public eye or not, like good. You know, that's an act of bravery, and bravery is not easy. Cultivating that a greater semblance of, of fearlessness. It's not an easy thing for people to do. So what is easy, though, is and more cowardly is just trying to bash people and, and bring them down. And, you know, there's no shortage of trolls in the world, and they need love, too, so it's okay. But um, <laughs> anyway, so we're almost at about an hour. Um, the last thing I want to ask you before we, we close this up is um, I think I saw that you said you started writing again. Is this correct? And so are you working on a new book? And I, you are. So um, I know you can't spill your guts on it, but can you talk a little bit about where you're going, what direction, any anything about it? Yeah, yeah. Um, this, this, I always knew that these sort of red book were a trilogy um I didn't really know what that meant exactly how each one would look and I've like what I thought the second book was wasn't what it was you know instead Red Hot and Holy came out and so 
for this one, um, I find myself in a vision of um, not knowing how this is going to happen, just knowing that it, it needs to happen. And the, this, this is going to sound sort of dramatic, but it really has this feeling for me that this is actually the book I've been trying to write. Um, mm -hmm. It felt like each of the preceding books were necessary steps, um, especially Red Hot Holy. Red Hot Holy had to pretty much like break me down so I would be willing <laughs> to write this third one um and red hot holy is more of like my human memoir and it's really about how i you know sort of lost and found my soul and just my whole divine journey up until now and um revelations which is the third one feels more like it's my soul's memoir so it's it's requiring a, a way of writing that i haven't um haven't fully practiced yet and i'm like like just yesterday, I was <laughs> I came down for dinner and I was like, "God damn it!" Like I finally like will hone, like I'll get my like authentic voice, and I'm like, "Oh, there it is!" And I'm like, "Okay, I'm more comfortable with it." And then the next book comes along, and it's like, and even that has to be removed again, and yeah. there's something else. And I'm like, "Can't I just get comfortable for a little bit?" So um, it's really uncomfortable right now. Um, it I, I am at the place where I know I have to write it. Um. I have a lot of similar fears that I have with Red Hot and Holy coming up around it, which are just fascinating. But because, again, I've been through Red Hot and Holy, I know what this is more. Like, I get how my gig works. I get how my fears rise. I get I get the voices in my head. I understand them more. But, um, yeah, so this one feels a bit more, um, I wouldn't say esoteric. I would just say it's a bit more interior. Um, and it's... It's embarrassing. Like, it's all the stuff that I'm scared of. It's it's there in my face right now. And yet I know I have to do it. <laughs> so, yeah, so, so I don't know. And I don't even know. Like, there's this part of me that's like, I really don't know with this one. Red Hot and Holy, I had to leave my old publisher. And I didn't even know if it was going to get published or if I wanted it to get published by the end. Um, and this, this book definitely has the same feel. Like, I'm not even thinking about the... I can't even think about other people looking at it. I just have to get to a place where it feels like I'm, I'm really, um, it's, it's coming. Like I'm coming truthfully out. I'm in that right now. <laughs> cool. Yeah. It's, it's very uncomfortable, but yeah. <laughs> well, thank you for sharing so openly about it. I appreciate yeah. that. Um, so where can people find you online and, um, and any events you have coming up that you'd like to share about anything, um, please let our viewers know. Yeah. Um, I'm just on sarahbeak.com and that's S E R A B E A K. And I have a few, a few retreats coming up this summer. I have one in Montana, which is a soul fire retreat and that's just for women. And then, um, I'm doing one with Thomas Moore at Kripalu. I think it's Labor Day weekend and it's called the mystery of the soul. Wow. And there's two other people, Dan Levin and someone else who will be there, like wonderful somatic people. And then a talk in um, October at emerging women. Awesome. Wow. Mm. Thomas Moore. That's great. Um, yeah. well, yeah. enjoy. Uh, well, thank you so much for your time. This has been a real pleasure, a breath of fresh air. And, uh, again, thank you for, the work you're putting out in the world and you continue to do it's greatly appreciated and it's not lost on on those of us that are taking it all in <laughs> thank you and thank you so much for having me it's it's so cool to speak with you and um yeah i'm just so excited to know you <laughs> oh vice versa <laughs> cool. well thanks sarah thank you
This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Time can feel like it's in short supply. Between work, family, and friends, there's very little time left just for you. What would you do with an extra hour in your day? What's important to you? Therapy can help you find what matters to you so that you can do more of it. It's a great way to increase self-awareness, build a greater sense of purpose, deal with overthinking, and more. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online and designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Learn to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash be here now today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash be here now.